0: Welcome to the CX AI and Outsourcing Podcast, a show about the people, technology and economics that are shaping the customer support industry. My name is John Walter, and today we have a conversation with Corey Penninger, the founder of TEAM, spelled T-E-E-M, which helps companies find and retain high quality international talent. Let's get started. with team. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk today. I talk with a lot of people on this show and I think you may be the youngest. How old are you? I am 29 years old. Awesome. Definitely the youngest. I'm 35. And I'm excited to talk with you for a few reasons. One, because you're the youngest BPO leader I've ever met. And so I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on the industry and where it's heading. And B, you have a very unique approach to customer support and driving efficiency in your operations, perhaps because you're looking at it from a fresh perspective. And so thank you so much for taking the time to talk today.
1: No, it's a a pleasure to be here. And I definitely fell into the uh, BPO world. I didn't wake up one day thinking about it, but when I realized how talented people around the globe are, we wanted to serve as a connection. We wanted to serve as a bridge so that their lives can be bettered but also efficiency and dedicated rock stars can be found for U.S. companies. And so I fell in love with this space because there's amazing people around the globe. And when you put those two together, it betters the companies that we're interacting with and work for. But at the same time, we're significantly bettering the lives of really hardworking team members and their families. And that's where I find my passion. So
0: you say you fell into the industry. How did that fall occur? What did you trip over?
1: This is a long story and a good story. I was going to Brigham Young University in 2016, and I was working part-time at a company called Weave Communications, which went public on the NASDAQ last year. And when I was there, it was a 50-person team or less. And in December of 2016, the venture capital firms that were backing Weave went to the leadership team and said, hey, you need to cut 30 to 40% of your headcount or uh, you all are out of the C-suite. They were just burning too much money. It was a VoIP system for medical practices. And to be honest, John, it worked half the time. So there was high cancellation rates. I managed the returns department at that point. So it was a really fun job. And they approached me and one other person, Casey Henson, who worked there and said, hey, we've got a division of the company called Recall Solutions. And would you be interested in purchasing it from us? It was doing like $200,000 a year at that point. And Jared and Brandon, who are the brothers who founded it, said, we'll sell it to you for a dollar with no strings attached. The technology, the people, the workstations, basically, they just needed to get rid of it. I think they were at the dilemma of either we shut down our baby or we sell it to someone.
0: They can put on their resume that they sold the business.
1: Yeah, large acquisition. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to get
0: out. And you're a young, innovative, hardworking individual. And you said, hey, I can maybe turn this into an opportunity.
1: And I went went to my dad, who I really respect in business and life. And I was like, dad, listen, there's this great idea. I have a chance to buy a company. We're going to do overdue patient recall for dental appointments. And he's like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard of. And that was my motivation to purchase the company, to say, hey, I'm going to prove him wrong. And we're going to make this company into a success. And so that was six and a half years ago. And over the course of that time, we've added thousands of practices to the company. The company today is named Reach. And uh, we've been lucky to grow. And we initially had our service center, our contact center based in Lehigh, Utah, which is like 20 minutes south of Salt Lake City. And when COVID took place... Wages anywhere in the United States just went through the roof. And at the same time, retaining team members became nearly impossible. And the silent killer to any business that does not show up on a PL is the attrition of team members. And so we started hiring our first batch of overseas team members in Argentina and Brazil. It went. Unbelievably well. And the reason it worked so well for us, or what made us unique, is we went to BYU Pathways, which is a division of Brigham Young University, and they allow students in Latin America to go to the same university level courses that I did and earn a certificate and earn a degree. And so we were hiring people who already had spoken English for four years at a minimum, but sometimes most of their life, and also had passed rigorous courses. So these were not lightly educated people who were undedicated to a career. We hired the first two people, and it blew my mind with how eager and dedicated and consistent they were. And so we just began, as we had attrition in our U.S. contact center, to backfill with people in Latin America. Did
0: you, over time, and, and just completely replace the domestic?
1: Yeah. Today, we're almost null on domestic contact center reps our managers, are overseas, and that's where the, my mind frame shifted. I had, and I'll be the first to admit, a negative perception of what overseas work and talent was. I thought you outsourced things because you needed to bring your EBITDA up or you needed to keep your costs low. I was wrong. I realized that these people, if I'm just really blunt about it, were more dedicated and engaged than the vast majority of our U.S. contact center.
0: I hear that a lot when I talk with various people about the benefit of outsourcing nearshore and offshore is simply the work ethic. I mean, of course, you have the cost, but you have eagerness. There are jurisdictions where people will be lining up outside the building to get a job and they will get there and they will put their life, heart and soul into doing the best they possibly can to the best of their ability. And it's frankly, just don't
1: get that as often in the United States. And so that's where the concept of team started. I realized, okay, if there's this many amazing people out there and there's U.S. companies who are struggling to hire and retain people, can we be that bridge? Can we connect people? Can we serve as the official employer of record? Can we manage that international payroll and compliance and take hardworking people and connect them with roles in the United States that are struggling to be filled? Can we democratize the economy around the world where amazing people, no matter where they live, can get connected, can get paid better, and companies can perform better? This should be a win across the board. So, we have two th-
0: topics to talk about here. Is one is reach, which is still an operating concern. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, no, s- still running today. And that's an
0: outsource vendor. So, it's a BPO, a customer support outsource vendor for the dental industry.
1: Yep. So solely just for dental practices and is built around scheduling appointments and helping them miss less opportunities.
0: Okay. So I'm very interested to hear about how you brought in fresh perspectives on the management of that more traditional BPO operation that focuses on that very specific market because I'm sure that you have brought a lot of efficiency that other BPOs would benefit from implementing themselves if they had the wherewithal to, to take those changes to heart. And then then secondly, let's first talk about team. So it's spelled T-E-E-M. And so it helps companies find offshore and nearshore workers and anyone who is not deeply involved in the BPO industry currently, so nearshore is pretty much anything that's um, western hemisphere, offshore is everything else. That's the way I view it. Some people will include South America and offshore, and that's fine. Um, but usually when we're saying nearshore, people are, can typically mean Mexico and Central America and northern South America. But in any help me understand with team what is going on in that operation. So you're still using that principle of trying to select candidates to be potential outsourced workers using the criteria of U.S.-based education?
1: Today, all that matters is if they pass our requirements, the vast majority of them do come through the BYU Pathways network. That's a great recruiting tool for us. And to be honest, I know nothing about the formal BPO world. We have a few leaders in our contact center who come with extensive experience, but it's nothing that we talk about. We talk about what's the problem that our clients are facing and how do we create a sustainable company? Something that we're really clear about talking about internally is we don't offshore, we don't nearshore, and we don't outsource anything we have a team. And whether that team member happens to live in Antarctica, Argentina, Alaska, I don't care. We want the right people in the right roles in the right time that are eager to win and align with our core values. And so that we try to look at it, I think because I come with no formalized training and even no college degree, I just want to make sure that we solve the problems that our customers come to us with, that we produce profit healthily as a company, and that we have a happily engaged team. What I call that is shareholder capitalism, where every single part of our wheel is equally taken care of. Now, does that mean everyone is always in sync and equally valued? No, but over the course of years, we need happy customers we need engaged team members, and we need to produce profit. If any of those become too out of balance at any point, let's make an example of that. Let's say we begin to push metrics way too heavily on our team where we take the human, we take the empathy out of it. Well, what happens is we begin to attract team members at a significantly higher rate, and our customer service will decline because of our CSAT scores. And so then customers begin to cancel. And so I consistently look at that flywheel of our three stakeholders our three shareholders, theoretically, within our business and say, how do we keep that well balanced? And that's why we look at our team and say, we don't care where you are. We're going to pay you well. We're going to treat you as humans. We're going to hold you accountable. And we're going to give you the tools to do so. But we're going to solve the needs of our customers while creating a healthy and sustainable environment that's not based on anyone. My hope would be if I happened to croak over tomorrow while having my morning coffee, that nothing in the business would change because we've got hundreds of people beyond me that have sustainability within the business.
0: And your outsource workers or team members, uh, or yeah. when you say outside the United States team members, they are providing customer support, but they also have different types of functions. My understanding is that maybe virtual assistants and engineers
1: and things of that nature also. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, if someone needs to hire a person for their digital marketing team. The vast majority of what we do, John, at the end of the day, revolves around customer support, virtual assistant roles. But then as we develop relationships with companies, they can come back and say, I need someone for my digital marketing team. I need to be more cost effective, or I need someone really engaged to join our engineering team and we'll go out and source those people, and then we bring back who we think are the prime candidates, those home runs, or what I say internally a lot, the Cinderella fits, and they do the final interviews, and they say, John's the person we want on our team, we bring him on, we serve as the employer of record, we do the compliance, we do the taxes, we do all of the paperwork, but they've got a team member going forward that's a third or a half of the cost that they've hand-selected that meets their requirements. Very interesting. I'm
0: actually in the market for a virtual assistant right now, and I've been using Upwork to try to find one. And I had a strange kick. I did a long road trip recently and I had the strange kick of trying to think of, because I'm on the road for a while and I wanted to keep things running. I was like, can I automate everything I do? Can I delegate everything I do? Most everything I do other than relationships and actual conversations. And so every every stop I would get on Upwork on my app and it's like, hey, this task I typically handle, I think I can outsource that and I have all these outstanding bids that I'm trying to get people to fill stuff up on. And I'm starting to think, hey, I just might want to hire, a virtual assistant who can perhaps fill several of those different functions that I was trying to kick off to different people. And what I'm interested in after looking at your website is the aspect of personality because it seems that you do some type of personality screening to see if an individual, in addition to their language and basic functionality with knowledge, you also look at their personality to make sure that they are a good fit for the role that's being selected. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because Upwork does not even come close to scratching the personality surface? In fact, you're probably going to, the Upwork person that you're hiring is probably going to delegate it to their cousin or something to do the work (laughs) when all of a sudden done.
1: No, it's a really good question. I think personality or core values culture is a huge part of a business because if you don't jive, if you don't align with the people that you work with, It's going to be tough. And so we look at different assessments, similar to DISC, where we say, are their strengths compatible? And we're bringing that data. We're not making the decisions, but we're looking at, okay, what does John enjoy? He enjoys building relationships. He enjoys closing deals. Well, there's paperwork behind that. And there is calendaring. There's admin duties behind it. Let's bring someone in who has what we would call stable supporter characteristics that they hold down the fort. They don't want to be out there hunting for the next big deal. They want to be the consistent stake in the ground that provides stability for a business going forward. And there's four or six main characteristics that people score at. And there's some that I score in the 30s, 40s, and 50s in. And there's others, like relationships and vision, that I push the 70s and 80s on. I need a team that balances me. And so, when we go find a team member, as if we were doing it for John, we would look at, okay, what are his core strengths? We need a team member that actually helps balance that. And then bringing the soft skills where you also communicate and enjoy working together. You just can't put your thumb in the air and say, hey, we hope this works. They interviewed well. We need to do data and use data to actually align those relationships so that we can come with logic and say, yes, their resume lines up. Their English is great. Their internet speeds are what we want. But then they also balance you. And here's how those two line up. Do these three or five interviews Who's the best one for you? That's very cool. I'm going to try that out and
0: I'll, I will report back how the experience goes. And let's turn a corner and we can come back to this topic of team because it's a very cool operation. I want to hear your thoughts about the operation of a customer support organization as a BPO yourself through Reach, which is the an outsourced vendor that is focusing exclusively on the dental industry. And I want to try to see what lessons you've learned that have been somewhat innovative. Because when I've talked with you before, it seems like you have a very streamlined, no-nonsense approach to customer support. You've cut out all the stuff that may be unnecessary that legacy BPOs may have just brought with them over the decades. And let's just start, for instance, with an on-site premise. So I am just assuming all of your workers are remote. You don't own any real or rent any real estate.
1: We have no physical operations in the entire world.
0: Yes, and I'm I'm sure even just the thought of having a building is um, almost laughable in your mind, just considering the the time period when you entered into this industry. It is an interesting thing because we do occasionally have clients who insist on-premise support, but then they typically end up complaining about the cost of on-premise support. And if they start with on-premise support, it usually will migrate to at least a significant portion of it becoming work from home. And so what does that look like for you for remote work for your team?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, we are, on both of our brands, an entirely remote-based company. Do I believe across the board that that is the perfect solution? No. And I want to be really clear that having an on-prem company, as John mentioned, comes with an enormous amount of increased costs. We've lived and breathed that. The reason that we're remote is we looked at our needs as a business and we looked at how can we find the right team member, whether they're in Jamaica or Argentina. And within Jamaica, if they're within a city outside of Kingston, if we find the right team member and we can't bring them in, having an on-prem or physical location narrows in that hub and spoke model or that hub that we can operate on. And so we realized that we valued having the right team member and having someone also who statistically thrives in a remote environment. And so we know when we're going to hire someone, we need to hire someone who enjoys that. There's other people who have the itch for work. And so what I don't want this to be is, hey, remote is the only way to go. Absolutely not. What are your needs as an organization? If it is correct to stay remote, my caution would Be hire people who thrive in that world. You can hire sales team members who need that in-person energy. And they're not going to be the right fit for your brand going forward. And so for us, we valued that and we've built our business around it. And again, going back to what I said earlier, is we've never even been to a BPO conference. We've always just come back to what do our customers need? How can we solve it as efficiently as possible without a bunch of burdens and steps, and since we didn't have experienced or seasoned BPO leaders in our business early on, we built the stack based on needs, not on what pre-existed or what was used before. The only goal was to be as efficient and as simple as solving our customers' needs as possible. And because of that, we've created a really lean tech stack and a really lean management team, and I think we've cut out some of the BS, and because of that, we've also been able to cut out some of our cost. And pass that along to our customers.
0: Can you give an example of some unnecessary practices that you've, maybe not unnecessary, but maybe not optimized approach to BPO management where you've been able to innovate a little bit? If I recall correctly, we talked, it's been months since we had our initial conversation. And I believe you said something about the billing is done differently.
1: Oh yeah, so our billing's completely automated. At the end of the month, based on usage, there's a bill that's automatically charged to customers on file. Either we hold an ACH or a credit card and it sends them a sales receipt. We won't even sign up a customer unless we have a payment form that's been validated on file. So if someone said, hey, we'll pay you in 30 days if we send you an invoice, they wouldn't be allowed to sign up. I just don't wanna chase down money. And we're even moving to a model now, we build in arrears now where we get actually paid the majority upfront. We were a bootstrapped and still are a ownership team owned business. We're not venture backed, we're not private equity backed. And because of that, you get a deal for a hundred seats and a couple million dollars early on, and you realize, whoa, this is expensive to grow. I've gotta hire the team, I've gotta buy the equipment, I've gotta get the services rendered. And then, oh, they were going to pay me 30 days after that. You could be 90 or 120 days in of cost before you're even looking at the first check. And so we've tried to switch that model back and say, hey, if you want to move forward, great. We're going to build that first month up front so that we're not getting our skis or our finances ahead of ourselves early on where we can purely focus on solving the needs of our customers and delivering a great product instead of, okay, we've got X amount in the bank account. How do we make this work? I don't want that to be of concern. And then every month going forward, they're billed automatically where we know what we're bringing in so we can focus on delivering a consistent solution, not just making it to the end of that payday.
0: And the purpose of practices like this is to truly streamline your organization because doing it the traditional way where you produce an invoice, send out the invoice, check comes in, you cash the check and all of that happening. Or I'm sure it's wire transfers, you know, large sums, but it takes time. It takes time from somebody that you have to hire and it adds up.
1: Are there any other practices that you consider more streamlined than traditional approaches? again, because I've not worked in a another sit- scenario, I actually don't know how to compare the apples to oranges. Um, we're trying to automate as much as we possibly can. When we're hiring recruits, even before they're applying and being looked at by a recruiter, they're going through a typing test. They're going through an internet test. They are going through actually an accent grading test, and only that 5 to 10% who makes it through this vast portfolio is then being reviewed by a recruiter. What I don't want to do is set up an interview with John and then realize, oh, he doesn't meet our requirements, or his internet speeds are not what they need to be again, so that we're looking at that top 10 top 5% and saying, okay, now how do we align your personality? What do we think about your soft interviewing skills? but when you make it to our recruiting team, you have passed all of our checks. And if not, we're going to let the applicant know, hey, you were great until we tested your internet speed. But if you ever do upgrade that in the future, we encourage you to apply again and to come back into this process. This is not a, hey, sorry, you didn't pass. This is we believe that people should be given additional opportunities and also the feedback that they deserve that takes them to the next level.
0: And one final topic I just want to jump into real quick is when it comes to your thoughts on artificial intelligence. I'm just not sure that's a topic that you've um, contemplated much, but I'm, I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on where you think the industry is going when it comes to conversational AI becoming very advanced and the role of humans and outsource vendors over the next five years.
1: So I think what we are seeing today will completely transform the service industry. Do I completely understand how that will change our business models yet? No, but what we spend a lot of time internally doing and even training courses that we offer are on these systems so that our team members are educated. We're encouraging them to use them in scenarios to help them think through process, to help them think through solutions, to write a email back to a customer that comes in extremely fiery and to give them some places to start. Or we just did a training with our copywriting team for marketing emails the other day, and we'll type in an initial rubric of thought of problems that our practices are facing and say, brainstorm copy with me. We're just going to be that much more efficient. So do I know how it transforms our complete market or customer place right now? No, I wish I did. But I know in every facet of our business and in every facet of almost everyone's, using it to operate more efficiently going forward is essential. Every week, I write a Slack message to our team, whether it's a story on motivation or whether it's soft skills. Oftentimes, I will tinker around with different thoughts and different ideas within OpenAI, and it helps me get some good ideas out there, but also do this in 30 minutes instead of brainstorming six articles and picking one, but they each take me an hour to write on paper. And so right now where we're using it is just to make our legs run quicker to get solid thoughts. And then we're taking it that last mile, but there's so much momentum in the AI space right now. We do not want to turn a blind eye to it because if we're just continuing to push and tinker, we believe it puts us ahead And it eventually could help us transform our businesses in ways that we may not even see today.
0: Very interesting what's happening. I'm I'm also right there with you, not sure what's going to happen, but trying to spend a lot of time and energy to figure it out because it's going to happen. Whatever it is that's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then we'll be sitting there years from now, looking back saying, oh, I wish I did that, or I wish I, I didn't do this. And so it's good to try to stay ahead of it. And what you're saying about the use case of chat GPT to brainstorm ideas, I love that. And that's something I need to do more often. I was on this recent road trip, I was listening to a lot of books and podcasts, and, and one book was um, written by Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, which is an interesting book, very interesting. But he was talking about the importance of people just having conversations with each other, that humans formulate their own internal thoughts through communicating with other people. And so just talking about the, the role of a therapist, really just to listen. And it's interesting how ChatGPT has been regarded as some as a form of therapist, where it's something you can talk to and express yourself and it will have somewhat of a conversation back with you. So even if the words that the large language model gives back to you aren't always pristine or perfect. Just the process of having that conversation, even with a robot,
1: really does a lot to help
0: organize thought.
1: It's a ping pong board where you can hit things back and forth and then you eventually say, hmm, on my 12th rerun of something that I'm narrowing in on, that's the home run. That's what we need to talk about.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that because I neglect that technology in that regard. I don't use it enough for that purpose when I should. Well, awesome. Well, Corey, thank you for taking the time to talk today, man. Are there any final thoughts that you want to share before we close out?
1: Just really appreciate the time, appreciate the opportunity to even be in this industry. We consider ourselves lucky and we're just looking forward to moving forward solutions, treating team members well, and and building something that builds a a legacy for a lot of people.
0: Awesome. Corey, thank you, man. We'll be in contact. Thanks, Sean. Special thanks to Corey Penninger for taking the time to talk today and to you for listening to this show. I've enjoyed all these conversations I've had so far, and I appreciate you tuning in to listen along with me. Anyways, have a good one, and I'll see you next week.